Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. From New York City, I am Susan Raslin. From Los Angeles, California, I'm David Dahl. And once we've watched all of the nominated films in a particular year, we will tell you if the Academy chose correctly, and if not what they should have picked instead. This week, we watched I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, which was nominated for the 1932-1933 Academy Awards. Congratulations to substitute 8th grade history teachers everywhere. Have I got a movie for you to make children watch over the course of a week. (laughs) How was this movie this boring with this title? I genuinely don't understand. And like, I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt for the first like hour because there's so much stuff that is like, oh, I guess sort of characters are powerless in the face of immoral, large systemic inequality and racism. And like, that's the point. But then things just happen that are good, too. Just things just happen in this movie. And it's very frustrating. I was consistently surprised at how a movie that on paper should have been extremely compelling or even just very upsetting managed to never quite click emotionally. But I can't figure out why that was, because Paul Mooney, who plays James Allen, who's the protagonist, has these really great moments of like, oh, let's close up on his face and he's, you know, we can see how tortured he is psychologically. So it's not that he's necessarily a bad actor or anything. I just couldn't find... I could not find my way in. I think it's that the character is kind of this passive cipher, but let's let's kind of talk about that after we give the plot of this movie, which weirdly doesn't take all that long because there's just sort of three acts and all of them are relatively simple story-wise. Kind of a lot of this is sort of the lurid details of chain gang life, which is probably the thing the movie does most effectively. But basically, James Allen is a World War One veteran who's decided he wants to go into engineering after being in the engineering corps. That goes badly for him. He can't find work anywhere. And he eventually ends up in poverty and gets talked into coming and getting a burger with this guy who turns out to be a robber who tries to rob the diner they're in, is immediately caught, and then James gets caught with him and sent to a chain gang, even though he didn't know the robbery was ongoing, which I have questions about, but whatever. The justice system sucks, so I guess I can hand wave it. (laughs) Anyway, almost as much as the justice system sucks, or rather, even more than the justice system sucks, chain gangs suck. And we kind of deal with that for a while until James manages to escape in probably the film's most lively sequence, And he then ends up making his way to Chicago, according to the Wikipedia page, though I have no idea how we're supposed to know that. There is some point where they show like, oh, it's Chicago, which is where, well, that is interesting because that's where he gets arrested. No, he goes to Chicago, gets arrested in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and then somehow ends up back in Chicago. Yes. Well, I think actually he doesn't end up immediately in Chicago. He ends up like somewhere nearby and meets up with a friend of his who has, you know, done his time and who is no longer on the chain gang and then ends up in Chicago 
where he becomes like a construction foreman. Yes, and gets blackmailed into marrying a woman who then sort of takes all of his money and sleeps around on him, but then continues to insist on continuing the marriage so that she can have all of his money. He meets in the space of about three minutes and falls in love with another character named Helen and decides he just can't live his sham marriage anymore and his terrible blackmailing wife rats him out to the cops he gets offered what seems like a great deal where if he goes back to the chain gang for 90 days he's going to get a pardon but it turns out that was just a ruse to get him back on the chain gang so they could punish him for publicizing how much chain gangs suck he then does a second escape that seems to have been just planned psychically between two people in the space of five seconds <laughs> and ends up after a year going to see his love interest helen and being a paranoid penniless person who will be on the run for the rest of his life and living by theft the chain gang turned him into a criminal even though he was not one before is the terrifying twilight zone-esque twist at the end of the film, I think the reason this all, which, like you were saying, sounds like it ought to be really exciting, is so boring, is because James Allen is such a passive character. It's like you were watching The Fugitive, but every single time something happened that might get him caught, Harrison Ford was like, eh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And then just stands there, and then it either is or it isn't. <laughs> so many times, like... The, he's going to get on a train and the chief of police shows up and he's just like, I've got the perfect plan. I'll get on the train anyway. And then the chief of police just walks straight past him and tries to arrest a hobo instead. And he gets on the train and leaves. He very rarely takes active steps about anything and is constantly surprised by shit. Like, even to the end of this movie, he seems shocked the world is a bad place after being, like, forced to work on a chain gang for a year. Yeah, I think that part of the reason why the escape is the most interesting part of the movie is because it is actually the one and only time that he shows any sort of agency. Yeah. What is amazing to me, and... I don't even want to say that this is a, a shortcoming of the film because it was actually, uh, it was something that was nice. But how everybody on the chain gang is like, yeah, I'm down to help you escape, but not ask you to take me with you. Yeah. To the point of like giving him money that they've somehow squirreled away. And like, there's the one black man who they show on the chain gang who, let's be honest here, if he was caught is probably going to suffer much worse consequences than anybody else. Decides like, yeah, I'll totally help you by essentially like making the shackles on your ankles deform so you can slide them off your feet. I just didn't understand why everybody on the chain gang is like, yeah, sure, we'll help you escape. There's so much hand waving like that about things that are like, I get it. I don't want a real in-depth portrait of like the Southern justice system so that we can get the ways that it was kind of nominally fair, even though it set up this horrible chain gang system. But there's so much just, like, hand-waving for the sake of, like, gotta get to that next scene. Like, this seems like the kind of thing that Peter Jackson would pad out to three separate movies, you know? <laughs> and it might actually have been better for it. Yeah, in that way of just, like, 
Well, now it's time to get off the chain gang. So the plan takes shape in like two minutes. One of the things that I really was perplexed by and I agree with you about is like, I can't point to a thing and go like, this movie sucks because X the way that I can with a lot of other movies. Like nominally, this movie does a lot of shit, right? It's just also lifeless. It feels like the kind of shit you watch when there's a substitute teacher in your eighth grade history class. Like, I guess I'm learning from this because I'm definitely not interested in it. There's definitely that educational value to it. And apparently the response to this film was that, you know, there there were actually widespread protests and the, there was a reformation of the Southern chain gang system, which... I feel like that it still existed at all is proof that the reform did not go quite far enough. But it, it is strangely lifeless. There are some people in this movie who I think are really good. Alan Jenkins, who plays Sykes, who's his buddy on the chain gang. I mean, he just lights up the screen every time that he's on. And when uh james allen goes back to the chain gang mm-hmm. i had this moment of like guilty relief of like oh thank god his buddy is back because now the movie won't be as boring i felt the same way when we like got back to the chain gang of just like oh we're doing this oh barney's back hooray <laughs> i want to see barney's movie <laughs> yeah Barney unfairly dies at the end of the film just so that he doesn't have to doesn't have to explain where Barney is in the last scene, basically. And it's a real damn shame because Barney seems great. Can we also talk about James's terrible brother? Yeah, I think we should talk about James's family in general. So when he comes back from the war at the very beginning of the movie, he is met at the train station by an old lady that he embraces as his mother a young woman who's about the same age who was like, oh, I kind of miss you being in your uniform. It made you look taller. Who then never appears again. Yeah. Who I assumed was some sort of like love interest that he'd had before he went away to the war. And then a reverend who is like 35 years older than he is, who I assumed was his dad. I had the exact same thought of like, I guess that's his dad. And then in the middle of the movie, the woman who blackmails him into marriage blackmails him because she reads a letter from his brother. And I'm like, he has a brother? It's so weird the brother didn't show up at the train station at the start of the movie. It feels like maybe like the mom should have written this letter because we just have never heard from this brother before. And then later on, they're like, and now we will hear from the convict's brother, the Reverend Allen. And we're like, what the f- (laughs) He is older than the mom. He has to be. Or just horribly miscast. I in no way thought like, oh yeah, that that's his brother. And he also treats him like he's, you know, the domineering religious dad. Okay, I've looked this up. Louise Carter was five years older than Hale Hamilton, who plays the brother. Louise Carter apparently had that child as a five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, Hollywood is always pretty bad about casting old guys opposite women who are the same age. But in this case of having someone who is five years older playing the mom of this guy was like, it, it did not work. It's bonkers. He is also looking it up. 15 years older than Paul Mooney, who plays James. Which is, like, not unheard of, but definitely I would slip a line in the script about just, like, your much older brother is here. 
with like his bone spurs that explains why he wasn't in the fucking war. <laughs> Topical humor. Yeah. I mean, not that it's like a major plot point or anything, but it was like, wait, what? And the way that he treats his brother is very patriarchal and not at all like, oh, I'm your older brother and I know better. It was like, you need to go and take this job that anybody would be grateful to have instead of doing whatever it is that you decided you like doing in the war. And also James's reaction to him is very much a, you know, son's reaction to his father of like, I went through hell over there. The whole thing is weird. Like it feels, it feels like Hale Hamilton contractually insisted the character be changed to his brother because he didn't want to be read as old enough to be the dad or something because it makes no sense. It's also that whole first sequence where he comes back home is so weird because it sets up all this stuff about like the veterans experiences and like what it like to return to civilian life after World War One. that then just the movie just doesn't care about the moment he enters the chain gang like it never comes up again i feel weird saying that this is a bad movie because i don't know that it's bad it's just kind of lifeless i mean other than barney there's no levity there's nothing in it at all that makes me there's no relief there's no investment i'm never invested in this thing it is the story of a terrible thing that happened to this dude due to a like terrible injustice of the many many terrible injustices of the american justice system But, like, there is no point of view character, there is no way into this world. Barney is the closest thing to, like, something that I feel invested in and I care about their fate. Everything else is just like, oh, what horrible thing is going to happen to James next? And, like, I don't... I don't care. The movie never makes you care about any of these people. What's also difficult, I think, to say about this is because it is based on a book that is... Based on a true story. Yeah, is the true story of someone who went through this. Parts of it are just incredibly unbelievable, and maybe that is because of the passivity. You know, I haven't read the book. It may be that even though this is pre-code, quote-unquote, they still did have actual things that you weren't allowed to portray on screen. And I feel like the relationship with Marie, who is the woman who blackmails him into marriage, that there has to be something more going on in there than just like, oh, well, I want your money, so I'm gonna blackmail you. I mean, she was such a one-dimensional villain. None of the women in this film exist to have more than a single thought in their head (laughs) yeah that's true even the like good love interests entire character traits are like loves james notices he does not like parties that's it that's all we learn about her for the entire fucking movie there's the girl that he meets at his friend's house when he gets out of jail who's like it's sort of a brothel or like yeah it's pretty heavily implied that that she's it's a semi-brothel yeah and it seems like her only function is to be like hooker with a heart of gold but that's just telegraphed there's no justification for it she's like oh i have so much sympathy for you and it's like you don't even know dude's story like what why (laughs) she then disappears like it's bizarre that they set up this hooker with a heart of gold character who's like the only person that truly understands him which again what 
But then, then he's just like, well, off to the train station, and we never see her again. There was one joke in the whole movie that I remember. It was a pretty limp joke, but because it was finally some kind of levity, I enjoyed it, which was when um, he gets out and he gets to Chicago, or no, he gets out and he gets to the nearest city, whatever that is. And he goes and he buys a suit, and then he goes to get a shave, and he's lying back while the guy is getting giving him a shave and some cop comes in and the barber is like oh how are things going and the cop is like oh everything's pretty boring oh right except for there was a guy who escaped from the chain gang and then paul asks for a hot towel so he could have his face covered while he's lying prone with the cop there and then at a certain point he's like great so uh i'm just gonna pay you and leave and the barber says wait how was the shave was it close enough And then Paul turns around to where the cop is sitting and says, Plenty. Plenty, yeah. And then leaves. And I'm like, okay, well, that was like, if not funny, at least clever. But also, how did the cop not go like, wait a minute, you're the guy who escaped from the chain gang. That's when I thought we were like, oh, we're in the fugitive now. This is going to be fun. Like, it's we're going to have fun with this. We never have any more fun with it. That is the that is the one moment it's fun. And like, you know, there is an argument for this shouldn't be fun. It's a chain gang. It sucks. But then also, like, the movie does want to be fun sometimes. And the movie does want to be like this weird, lurid tale of like a woman blackmailing her. Like, if that's what we want this to be, the whole second act is so weird. And it ends up being just this big jumble of stuff that you don't sit in long enough to care about any of it instead of being like a terrifying portrait of a horrible, unjust period of American history. Yeah, it feels like the visual equivalent of reading a historical book, not like a historical novel, but a book. I'm reading Empires of the Sea right now, which is a book about the Ottoman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire's battle for the Mediterranean. And it it just does that. It's like, then this happened. And then these people, you know, laid siege to Malta. And here are the things that happened. And like, that's fine when you're talking about a 300 page book that covers like 250 years of history but nobody wants to watch that on screen and that's how it feels it's just like this happened and then this happened and then this happened and we don't get a great deal of motivation from anybody i'm not even entirely sure why paul gets in his head so early that he is going to escape whereas other people who have been there for years have not decided to try this it should have spent way more time in the chain gang making you care about those characters and understand who those characters were and like how unjust the system was generally Instead of just how much it sucks for James. Also, James sucks. James doesn't suck enough to deserve to be on a chain gang, because absolutely nobody does. Fair. He definitely sucks. One, his his brilliant cover name when he gets out is Alan James. And that is maybe the most effort he puts into evading authorities for literally ten years. Every single thing you could do to get caught by the cops if you escape from prison, this dude does. Yeah, I kept thinking how this story could never have unfolded this way in 2018, or like even much earlier than that, because of how much you have to show identification to do anything. 
And he's just like, yeah, uh, hire me as this construction worker. And my name is Alan. And they're like, is that a first name or a last name? And he's like, uh, oh, it's my first name. Alan. Alan James. That's, uh, that's the best part is that they give him the cue for it. He doesn't even come up with the idea of not using his real name himself. Somebody else has to, like, put that idea in his head. Because he just comes out with it. He's like, yeah, my name's Alan. And and then when someone says, like, oh, is that first name or last name? He realizes, oh, shit, I just told them my real name. I better swap my conveniently swappable first and last name. I also am just, like, super unclear. After he escapes is when the whole movie falls apart for me. Like, I wasn't, like, super invested before, but I was like, okay, so, like, this is a story that needed to be told, and, like, a lot of the stuff that's messy about it is messy because because that's kind of necessitated by the tale that is being told. This guy has to be kind of passive. He has to be down on his luck. All these things have to occur this way to tell the story of the chain gang system. But then after he gets out, things just keep happening. Good things happen. Just the universe is essentially random. A random slot machine. The job market is a random slot machine. Everything just happens to James. And it makes you not care about him. It makes you think like, I mean, who who fucking cares about this guy? And it's exhausting is the other thing. Because you just end up waiting for the next thing to happen instead of being invested in watching this character make the next thing happen. You just sit there and go like, I wonder when some plot will occur to James again. There are some neat camera things that happen in here. I can say that about it. I was going to say, how much do you think this was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture just for the scene transitions? There are so many super showy transitions in this film, and I like nine-tenths of them. Like, they're all really pretty great, but there are also just so many of them. You have, like, a whole sequence where you're just, like, following a map, occasionally intercut with, like, steamer ships, and then there's a scene of James going, like, any work here in New Orleans? Would have been work a week ago. All right. Scene of, like, the map going all the way up to, like, Illinois. With a train occasionally intercut. Hey, any work up here? Like, just like so, so much of that stuff. That one was good. The one I really liked as far as scene transitions go are the pages of the calendar falling where they've spliced over it them using the sledgehammers Mm -hmm. on the railroad. So it looks like the sledgehammers are knocking the pages of the calendar down. That one was great too. All of that stuff is actually genuinely like... Great. It's so good it becomes cliched and, you know, The Simpsons is making fun of it by the 90s, but it's not like we watched a lot of other movies that have done that so far. So it's it's pretty solid here. There's a moment when he first escapes where he goes into a river and he, like, takes a reed and is underwater and has the reed sticking out so he can breathe like a snorkel. And you've got the underwater shot of him with the guard in the water looking for him. And you can see Paul Mooney's body. And then in front of him, you can see the legs of the guard. That's a really cool shot. And the sound design for that was really good, too. Because when you were above water, you hear, like, the dogs barking and all the guards are yelling. Yeah. And then underwater, it goes totally silent. So, I mean, there were some technical things in this movie that were actually really impressive. And I did have that thought of like, okay, I I feel like this movie was nominated for two reasons. One is 
it was a serious subject that needed to be addressed. And two, the technical... There were little technical, I hesitate to say tricks, but little technical tricks in it that were impressive. But as far as like being an enjoyable movie to watch or even like a a well-written film, it's just not. I mean, I am realizing now that like this movie came out the year the book came out. So like this makes sense to me as like a rushed into production based on a true story film. It has the flaws you would kind of expect from that. Like, it is very Mm. kind of messy in that way. And it is more about making sure it hits the big beats of the story that's rocking the nation than it is about, like, crafting an entertaining film. It isn't like it's... Again, I know this is a touchstone for bad movies. In Old Arizona is our one, like, ineptly made film. And this is not an ineptly made film. It's just not engaging. That pretty much sums it up exactly. Is I, I, There's no reason to watch it anymore. It was very much of its moment. And it addressed something that was, like, a current event that needed to be addressed. But I, I feel like we're definitely going to get into a similar thing when we get into some of the 21st century movies. Oh, here's a thing about September 11th or like the killing of Osama bin Laden or whatever. And it's like, yeah, this was on screen because it was ripped from the headlines. But like, what value does it have at this point? Before we completely finish, even though I like I do agree with all of that, I do also want to like credit this film for being remarkably not racist. It is the story of a white guy and the chain gang system, but they really do go to pains to show like, hey, there are a lot more African-Americans in this system than there are white people, and it sucks for them, and there are even less avenues for to do something about it for them. It's not, it's not like a main plot of the film, but they at least don't deny all that stuff, which I was kind of worried about. That, like, it was going to be exclusively white people in the chain gang, and we were just not going to talk about it at all, was what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I will give it that, but the flip side of that is, is that only a single black actor has has a line or is a character at all, and absolutely, they yeah. only exist as a way for him to escape. To be fair, everyone at that chain gang only exists as a way for him to escape. Uh, not Barty. <laughs> Barney exists to make sure that you don't, like, walk out of the theater. Barney's the one that gives him seven bucks and is like, when you get out there, tell everybody that being free is great. Was Barney trying to guilt him into coming along on the escape and James, because James is terrible, just didn't get it? You know, I... I, (laughs) uh, I really don't know if that is the case. And given how excited he was to see him back on the the chain gang and was like, hey, buddy, I missed you. Like, I don't think so. Unless he was like, hey, buddy, I missed you and I'm pissed at you because you didn't take me with you. But I mean, Barty does give him the $7, but he's not, as a character, I feel like he has character qualities other than just being the guy who gives him seven dollars yeah it is true that the one thing you learn about the one black guy is that he is very very good at the physical labor of hitting things with a sledgehammer and that's not great i yes it on a much 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 smaller more specific scale it's kind of a shanghai express situation of like It gets this right about systemic racism while getting this wrong about representation of non-white people in this film. We don't need to argue about Shanghai Express for a third time. But like, yes, I I get what you're saying. On a micro scale. I do think like it does. 
it doesn't have like prominent black leads that get to do anything certainly like this is still a tale about white people in the chain gang system basically there's just a shot that shows there are about twice as many african americans on this chain gang as there are white people numerically they have a list of both of them and i was like oh it's nice they bothered to do at least that i didn't think they were going to which is different from this movie isn't still kind of racist because it is. It doesn't spend a lot of time with anyone who's non-white. It's hard for it to make a lot of missteps in that way because it just doesn't spend a lot of time with anyone really other than Paul. Yes. And I guess Barney. And there are some other people who are on the chain gang who like probably have names, but they're not they're not names that I remember. <laughs> Susan, I have just learned a remarkable fact from the Wikipedia page of I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. What is that? As we are about to rate this movie, if we are ever important enough to be included in Rotten Tomatoes, we would ruin this film's 100% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, man. Now I just have a goal in life. <laughs> oh, really? There... How? I'd also like to state, though, this is apparently not a particularly, this is maybe not the best list as the very first thing chronologically on it is Birth of a Nation. Oh, dear God. So there's... (laughs) Who gave Birth of a Nation 100%? Apparently 38 separate people. Even... No, because there there is no, like, even all of the racist shit of that movie aside, because there is no way that you can do that. Because that's the that's the movie. Yeah. But it's boring as hell, too. <laughs> Agreed. Also on the list, Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. Haven't seen it. Frankenstein was good. Which might be great, because fr- Frankenstein is on this list, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Let's see. Let's see. I feel like as you get past the 40s, there starts being a little bit more discernment here. So... You know, it's it's like up until the 40s, people were just like, oh, my gosh, they made a movie. Yeah, I feel like up until the 40s, it is a little bit like people remember this film one like great. (laughs) And then you hit the 40s and it's like Citizen Kane, the Maltese Falcon. And it's like, sure, one yet 100 percent. I'm with you. Uh, Seven Samurai, like hard to argue with a lot of the stuff as you get closer and closer to the present day. But some of the stuff early on is a a little bit questionable. (sighs) Well, so with that, I guess we should rate this movie. Yes, I am going to give this movie an exact five. No, I'm going to give it a six. I changed my mind at the last minute. I talked myself for a long time into that five. And then I was like, "Ah, no. Six. Oh, I'm going to give it a four. All right. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four because I got to say that being completely or I have to say that lacking completely in any entertainment value is uh, like that's a big knock on a movie for me. Yeah. All right. I'll in that sense, I'll go back down to a five because there's a way in which like this is as good a movie as it can possibly be while being kind of boring. I mean, it was definitely not unwatchable. It wasn't like, this is boring and I can't follow it because it's a total mess. It hits all of its plot beats on time. It's just, it hits all of its plot beats and I don't care. Yeah. I do care about the criminal justice system being a mess. But yeah, I don't care about any of the characters except for Barney. God bless you, Barney. Um, should you watch this movie? I I feel like 
it, you know, you're required to for class. So yes, you. Yeah, if you're an eighth just grader, sit here, and... turn, turn, just accept that the lights are out and that Mrs. Willis will be back next Monday, <laughs> and you should absolutely watch this film. Because what are you going to do? Like, they take your phone from you if you try and look at your phone. Otherwise, probably not. There are certainly better movies and more... There are more contemporary movies that you could watch that deal with the current problems of the criminal justice system. Or or you could watch, like, The Big House, which at least has some compelling characters in it, even if it's super weird and kind of a mess. Yeah. It's a little bit like the problem I had with All Quiet on the Western Front, except, like... All Quiet on the Western Front was also a good movie I didn't enjoy. In addition to being like an important movie, this is just an important movie I didn't enjoy. And I don't know if I could say it's either good or bad. It just kind of is. It just kind of is and tells you important things. And you kind of go, yeah, okay. Yeah, that does that does suck. That's really awful. All Quiet on the Western Front was a difficult movie to watch, and I didn't find this to even be difficult because it di- it never resonated with me in a way where I was like, oh, God, that was really, really tough to watch. Whereas that happened, like, I don't know, every 20 minutes in All Quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> there were moments of like, oh, this really, really sucks, his first stint in the chain gang. But there's also the thing where just like, also James sucks and it's like when's James gonna figure it out that like there's about eight times that James does a thing that he's shocked that chain gangs are bad and he is punished for it and after about the third one you're like maybe get clued into the system here bud maybe maybe figure out that this is not a good place where you are allowed to constantly voice how unfair it is I think that's actually what removes any emotional resonance from this film is that specifically of like, gee, it's really unfair that I can't do whatever. And it's like, yeah, it it super is. But as the audience, like we would have gleaned that we don't need you to voice it for us. He never really takes any active steps besides escaping. He's not really active about the injustice. He just kind of complains about it. It's kind of bleh. Don't watch it. Unless, of course, you know, you, you have to because you're in an eighth grade history class and you have a sub. Yeah, so on to next week. A farewell to arms with he- Helen Hayes and Gary Cooper. There is no way this movie can be bad. I mean, it doesn't have a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I mean, <laughs> how good could it possibly be? Well, we've learned how good it could possibly be. Uh, I mean, the one thing I will say against this is the poster is amazing. That's true. <laughs> The poster is amazing, but it's also Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes in A Farewell to Arms. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm feeling like it'll probably go okay. Yeah, I I can't see... Well, you know, I I don't want these to be, again, the the famous last words I have about a movie, but uh, I feel like it's, um... I feel like it's gonna go well. And it's by the director of Bad Girl, which was not the best movie we've ever watched, but was like bizarrely absorbing so yeah i i mean the thing i will say about bad girl is that like it was really engagingly plotted it was it was a weird plot and the title continues to baffle me to this day (laughs) but it was it was it was engaging yeah um and after i am a fugitive from a chain gang i could use a movie that engages me but exactly oh also this guy borzaga directed seventh heaven which was 
also bizarrely engaging despite being confusing. So maybe this will be both engaging and confusing. Which I could really use. <laughs> Which would be an improvement over boredom. Yep. Until next week when Mrs. Wallace, who's our teacher? Uh, boy, I really wish I wrote that down three minutes ago when I made that great joke. Until your teacher returns next week. Be quiet or we will send you to the principal's office. This was a movie. Uh, we're the we're the drunkest substitutes. Alright. This was a movie. This was Yeah, this was. It was. Bye. Goodbye, everybody.